experience I did. Um, it was really incredible. One day at Bible study, I was looking around at my closest friends, these people I loved, and realized none of them had the same, none of them came from the same uh, type of church that I did. Um, so I, I learned that they, they practice communion in a different way, um, with different frequency, and I, my, my eyes were open to the fact that maybe everyone didn't have the same experience that I did. Um, so this is when I started learning about different, you know, beliefs and practices and all of that. And it was interesting because what I thought was, like, the most simple Christian practice is actually one of the most hotly debated topics of conversation in, in the church for all of history, right? I mean, there are so many different conversations and beliefs across denominations, um, even within the Christian faith, that it was quite a perspective change for me to realize that the, the way I understood communion was not the only way that it was understood. So one thing that I do believe about, about celebrating communion, um, regardless of how often you celebrate or even the manner in which the, you celebrate it, is that this is a sacred thing, that this table, that these um, that this space and this time that we spend together around it is, is a sacred thing. God's presence is always with us, yes, but it, I always feel like it's, it's more palpable during this time. It feels more, more present. Um, the Holy Spirit surrounds us as we pray over the elements, as we pray over ourselves. And Jesus' words echo in our hearts, and often we say them um, as we break the bread and fill the cups. So celebrating communion can also develop faithful rhythms in our, in our lives. Jesus instructs us very clearly, saying, remember me when you do this. Um, so he's giving us a routine. He's giving us a, a rhythm to get into. Uh, but we know that by saying, remember me during this time, Jesus wasn't saying, and only during this time, right? Um, so in the act of remembering Christ's life and example and sacrifice, what we're doing is preparing ourselves to remember Jesus the rest of the week, as we, or the rest of the however long, um, to remember beyond that moment. And that is often um, pretty difficult for us. It might be, the, might be the short attention span. It might be the busyness. It might be, um, might be a, a myriad of, of things, right? But to not make communion about just this moment or just this worship service, um, its impact can reach so much further. And really, everything we do on a Sunday morning, right, is about that. It's the same, the same idea for the songs that we sing, for the, the scripture that we read, for the confession that we make. Everything we do on a Sunday morning is to cultivate that practice in our daily lives and help us establish a faithful rhythm. A lot of times, I don't know if you've experienced this, I would, would guess um, that you have. We show up here on Sunday morning completely exhausted, completely depleted, we need to be filled up. And we hear that from people all the time, that I'm coming to church to get filled up. Um, but is there, is there anything that we can do in a, even a two-hour period on a Sunday morning that would actually give us enough to get through the week? The worship service is not designed for that, right? It's designed to help give us those practices to carry throughout the week so that when life is thrown at us, we don't have to wait until Sunday to get filled up. God is with us and with us in those practices all week. Um, so we know that celebrating communion is a sacred practice. We know that it's a faithful practice. Um, but I, was, I still kept having this question um, 
the, the answer or the, the question of why do we celebrate communion? I didn't have the full answer yet when I was thinking about this. So we're going to look at John 7 if you want to, um, if you want to follow along. We're going to start in verse 25. We could read the whole chapter, and I would encourage you to do so this week, uh, but we're just going to focus on a small section of it. So John 7, starting in verse 25, says, Now some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, Is not this the man whom they are trying to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, but they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Messiah? Yet we know where this man came, or where this man is from. But when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus cried out as he was teaching in the temple, You know me, and you know where I am from. I have not come on my own, but the one who sent me is true, and you do not know him. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. Then, of course, they tried to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many in the crowd believed in him and were saying, When the Messiah comes, will he do more signs than this man has done? On the last day of the—oh, I'm sorry, jumping down to verse 37. On the last day of the festival, the great day, when Jesus was standing there, he cried out again, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit, which believers in him were to receive. When they heard these words, some in the crowd said, this is really the prophet. Others said, this is the Messiah. But some asked, surely the Messiah does not come from Galilee, does he? Has not the scripture said that the Messiah is descended from David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David lived? So there was a division in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. So at this time, Jesus had been around for a little bit, right? He'd been doing ministry. He'd been healing people. He'd been preaching. A lot of people had met him. Um, A lot of people had followed him at this point. Um, He's not new on the scene. This is not like his first day showing up in Jerusalem or his first day showing up in the temple to teach. People have seen his work and they've heard him speak, but there's still this confusion as to who he really is. Jesus makes all these remarks, even in this passage, about being one with God, about being the only way to get to God. But people wonder, well, maybe he's just the prophet. Or, even worse, they wonder, maybe he's a little crazy. Maybe he's demon-possessed, is what they keep uh, accusing him of throughout his time. And the authorities, of course, are trying to keep all of this under control. They've got this restless crowd— but people start questioning them as well. If these are the leaders, the religious leaders, should they not be able to recognize the Messiah? They've been, they've been talking about him for how long? Shouldn't they be able to recognize him if this guy, Jesus, is in fact the Messiah? So what concerns me about this passage is that um, the, the Hebrew people and then later on the Jewish people, they have um, woven into their culture these... Um, these festivals, like the one that they're attending in this, uh, in this passage, they have these practices that they engage in or engage with on a regu- regular basis, and they have sacrifices that they regularly do as a form of worship. And all of these things, the festivals and the sacrifices and the practices, 
all of them are designed to get them closer to God, to help them remember who God is, remember what God has done for them, um, and to look forward to seeing the Messiah come. And then the Messiah comes, and he shows up right in the middle of the temple, and he says, hello, I'm here, look at me, I'm from God, I've, got, I've done all these things to show you that this is me. And they don't recognize him. They, they've done all these things for years and years and years, talked about them in their families, practiced them at worship. And when Jesus showed up, they had no idea it was him. There was uh, maybe an inkling of, oh, that could be him. But they didn't know that it was Jesus. We celebrate communion so that we can recognize Jesus. We come into this place and sit at Jesus' table and say the words that he said and do the things that he did so that we'll remember and recognize Jesus. It should help us grow closer and closer to recognizing him. What I'm so afraid of is that what was true of the people in this scripture will be true of us as well. That we will partake in these practices. But what if Jesus showed up today? What if Jesus walked in the door or sat down next to you in your pew and he thought, wait a second, this is not the person who normally sits next to me in my pew. What if it's Jesus and we don't see that? Um, Would all the time that we spent around this table bring us any closer to recognizing him? Uh, We're going to look at a, a passage in Luke 24. Yeah, starting in verse 13. You may have known this passage, or you may have heard this passage before, read it multiple times. Um, You may even already know where I'm going with it, but I think it's really important. So Luke 24, uh, starting in verse 13. This is after um, Jesus has been crucified. This is after um, he's been risen as well. So now on that same day, two of them, uh, two disciples, two followers of Jesus, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened in Jerusalem over the last few days. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? And they stopped, looking sad. Then one said, Oh, sorry. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place? And Jesus asked, What things? So they replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified, but we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And yet, Yes, and beside all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as they said. 
but they did not see him. And then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow your hearts to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, you guessed it, he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And at that moment, their eyes are opened and they recognized him. When we participate in the practice of communion that Jesus laid out, we're all the more connected to him. And it's not just because he told us how to do it and gave us the the script and the line by line. That's not the only reason we're more connected, but we're more connected because he is here with us in this moment, wanting to be seen and understood and and deeply known more and more. Uh, We're recognizing the authority that Jesus has over our lives. We're submitting to his instructions to remember him and to remember his sacrifice. And as we do that, our relationship with God deepens and we learn to recognize God more clearly. So think about it this way. Uh, What are the things that you see in the world? Um, Do you see, do you see God? Do you see love and compassion? Do you see mercy shown and grace extended? Do you see maybe more negative things? Do you see hatred and rivalry and selfishness? Um, And I know we see a bit of both. It's never going to be one or the other here. Well, I hope it will never be entirely. Um, but sometimes it seems easier and easier to find the negatives, right? There's always something that has happened, something to be, um, to be down about. And practicing communion gets us closer. Um, getting us closer to God means being able to recognize God when God shows up outside of these walls, outside of this time that we're together. We know that God is at work in all of creation, but sometimes we're too busy, right? We're too blinded by negativity to see that work. Thinking about how uh, different our lives might be if we noticed all the places, all, every single time that God is working or showing up around you, can you imagine how your life might be different if you saw that every single time? And we might not, uh, I just, I wonder, if we saw it every time, we might not experience as much road rage, right? Because we would see the ministry of those who are uh, carpooling or driving someone who can no longer see well enough to drive. Um, we might not lose our patience as quickly with coworkers when we notice that God is softening their heart as they walk through a really difficult season. I'm sure you can think of a lot of other ways that your life might be different, that the possibilities are truly endless as God is working and moving all the time around us. So the simplest place to start is in our communion circles. When we come up to celebrate this morning, we're going to meet in in communion circles up here. And the question that I want you to think about is, how is Jesus showing up in the people in your circle? When someone offers you the bread and the cup, do you hear Jesus' voice? When you offer it to the next person, do you see Jesus' face in that person's face? This table, Jesus tells us, is for anyone who believes that Jesus is their Savior. Jesus welcomes us just like he did the little children. He said, come to me, all who are thirsty. 
By the world standard, those children, sorry, I'm mixing passages now, but when he welcomed the children, uh, by the world standard, those children did not belong so close to Jesus. His disciples tried to kick him away and, you know, shove him back. They didn't deserve his attention or his affection as far as those people were concerned. But those are exactly the people that Jesus invites and welcomes with open arms. This table is for those who the world has turned away. It's for those who are lost and are trying to find a way home. It's for anyone whose heart has been broken. Uh, There's an author, her name is Sarah Miles, and she wrote a book called Take This Bread. Uh, Sarah grew up in a very, very secular home, um, and that's how she experienced life. And it was through communion that, um, that she recognized Jesus for the first time. I love the way that she, um, she writes this in the prologue of her book. She said, it turned out that the prerequisite for conversion wasn't knowing how to behave in church. It wasn't having a religious vocabulary or this, um, this abstract set of understandings. It was a hunger. It was the same hunger I'd always carried, she says. When Sarah was finally presented with the opportunity um, to partake of communion, and in her book she, she talks about it like, I was just walking along, and there's this church that I always passed, and for some reason today I went in. Now I hope that we're all of the same understanding that it wasn't just coincidence that got her in that door, right? The Holy Spirit brought her into that space before she even realized that it was the Holy Spirit working in her life. But she said she discovered the deep hunger within herself. She was hungering and thirsting for Jesus, for a Savior, for the one who would meet her where she is and lead her on an amazing journey. And for Sarah, that journey started at the communion table. So in our passage out of John, Jesus invites all who are thirsty to come to him. And that invitation that Sarah responded to, it's the same one that we have the opportunity to respond to this morning. Are you hungry and thirsty for God? Have you searched high and low for answers, but only found dead ends? Have you been turned away by everyone else in your life? When everyone else, when the world tells you to go away, Jesus says, you are welcome here. Believe in me, and you are welcome here. It might be helpful for us to remember, this is a good gut check for me, um, that we all approach this table unworthy. Every single one of us. But Jesus is the one who meets us on the way. When we gather here, we all have unresolved sins. They're all people that we're probably uh, fighting with or feuding with in some way. There's probably a disagreement that we have left unresolved. But Jesus meets us on the way. Uh, Chris Jacobson, who's a pastor and a writer for the Twelve, he confesses the shortcoming. And I just love how he says it. It's something we can all relate to. He says, sometimes when I celebrate the supper, I do it in an unworthy manner. I've been in conflict with someone and have failed to work it out prior to dining. I have left some sin unconfessed, too embarrassed to even tell God what it is that I've done. I've eaten the bread and I drank of the cup, knowing full well that there are those who did not feel welcome. But even when we aren't worthy, God is working on our hearts to clear our sins. If we believe that God saves and that Jesus was sent as a sacrifice for our sins, Jesus will keep meeting us on the way to the table. So as we believe in Jesus' sacrificial work, we gather at the table, celebrating communion, 
making it an important part of our lives, a rhythm that spurs us forward. And as we continue to practice, our relationship with God grows deeper, so we are more and more able to recognize Jesus in the world around us. And I want to add just one piece to that. As we're able to recognize Jesus more and more around us, the hope is that then we're able to share Jesus with more and more people around us and inviting them into the space of practicing or of believing, practicing, and seeing. Let's pray. God, you have, uh, you have made this space for us. You have given us this gift of communion. Help us to see you, to recognize you more and more through our practice of communion, through our celebration of what you've done for us. Amen. Um, I'm going to invite our worship team back up during or for communion, for our communion liturgy today. Um, I have to apologize. I uh, was not uh, clear in what I was communicating.